What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host. Thanks for joining us. I'm uh, joined today by Charles Power. He is uh, the On3 National Scouting Director for College and uh, Recruiting. Uh, Charles uh, is uh, the man behind the curtain uh, for On3 in many respects. Works uh, in conjunction with guys like Jerry Hamilton, Sam, uh, uh, Sam Spiegelman, uh, Chad Simmons, those guys to deliver recruiting rankings and also our national college rankings uh, as well as you go through this. He's also an aficionado of the draft as well as recruiting. And so I thought it'd be a good chance for you guys to introduce you guys to him as well as get his key takeaways on this first day in the draft. Uh, Charles, welcome in and thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll just ask you right away. Um, what are your major takeaways that you see that, that uh, matter as it relates to recruiting that follow through all the way through the draft? Uh, what are some big takeaways right now? Yeah, I, I think we've seen a lot of, um, you know, positional trends kind of continue throughout the draft. You know, um, I, I think the wide receiver position, we've seen some of that. Uh, I, one, one of the things I've been tracking over the last couple of years is like production with, with top receiver uh, draft picks. I think we saw a lot of that. I think the first four receivers drafted in, in this in this draft, I think they went in the top 12. I think four went in the top 12. They averaged, you know, 1,300 yards uh, as seniors and I think maybe like 19, over 19 touchdowns. So you're talking um, about as high schoolers? As, as high school seniors. So, uh, you know, I, I look at receiver as like a true skill position. And I think one of the more common through lines, you see different types of receivers. You can see a 5'9 speedster or a 6'4 possession guy. But I think one of the more common through lines is the top draft picks are usually very productive at high school. Um, it's not a position where you see a lot of, athletes convert there and um and a lot of these guys you think about it a lot of these receivers are three and out receivers they're in college for for three years so they the guys who are best equipped to hit the ground running with that like typically do pretty well um you know with, with offensive line I think we see you know some different types um you know you have a Evan Neal who is you know six seven and a half 390 coming out of high school kind of reshapes his body and becomes a top 10 you know pick Charles Cross is a guy who we were really high on um, you know, was, was one that was kind of had almost exactly kind of what you would want physically in terms of the, the arm length. He was, you know, a streamlined 275, moved really well, good video. But then you have all these developmental prospects, you know, guys who start off at FCS, like a Zion Johnson who went to a, 
a non-scholarship school at Davidson, um, and then goes uh, goes to play uh, at, at Boston College when they hired the Davidson coach. Um, you know, Trevor Penning, who was really just kind of, I think, missed a little bit by schools in that area. He was a late convert to, to offensive line. Um, it, the, the Tyler Smith from from North Crowley was was a late, uh, a, a, you know, a late switch from DL to, to offensive line. So that's something I think you, you see a lot there. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, Cole Strange was uh, Cole Strange, the young man from uh, uh, UT Chattanooga, University of Tennessee Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, originally signed with Air Force out of high school as a right. defensive end, moved to offensive line and transferred to uh, Chattanooga and, and uh, ends up at the end of the first round with the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, I, I think the quarterback, tracing it back to the, 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 the 2019 cycle, which is kind of the three and out cycle that, that this draft is in, you know, one of the talking points in that recruiting cycle was it was just a really bad year at quarterback nationally. And I think that's not a coincidence that, you know, the, the one quarterback in the first round is Kenny Pickett, who was in the 2017 cycle. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, bared out a little bit with NFL draft. This, and that's one thing that that's why I think we can provide a little more insight into this, you know, look at the draft. Um, you, you see a lot of the trends surface in, in the recruiting cycle, you know, and then they come up like three or four years down the line. I, well, you were you were managing the twenty four seven sports rankings back in what what years were you there? Would have been yeah. So twenty nineteen was my first cycle that I was involved with the national team, and then twenty twenty, um, and then you know twenty one, and we we started. I think the last initial ranking that I helped put together was the twenty the initial twenty twenty three one for them. Okay. So um, in you know to, to compare the twenty nineteen cycle, which I think we did a good job of, if you look at, it, I think we had nine five stars were first rounders last night but if you look, go back and look at that there's really it was that was it was a boomer bust cycle like there was there's a lot of busts among the five stars some of it's injury related off field you know just some guys who maybe just haven't you know realized their potential and then some guys that we were high on that that you know went went really high and then the 2020 cycle is which is next year's draft is going to be phenomenal like that was as good of a cycle that i've covered in recruiting. And I think it's not a coincidence that you see a lot of NFL teams that are really trying to stockpile picks for that first round. I want to get into a couple topics with you here. I, I was looking at this and, and really 20, I think 21 or 22 of the 32 picks yesterday were four stars or higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's two thirds essentially of a, a draft class uh, with really what one tenth of the number of players that uh, total players that signed division one. That's that's a great hit ratio, and I and I made I made comment of that. Just give you some notes um, of the six wide receivers taken in in the first round, and you mentioned this. All six of them were ranked four star or higher in high school. Um, at defensive line, three of the four were four star or higher. Edge, uh, this was interesting. Three of three, four star or higher. Uh, two of whom I think were five stars. Um, cornerback, three of four. Safety, three of three ranked four star hard the the outlier in that group and i and i know you know this and that's what we were talking about three only three of nine of the offensive linemen were ranked in the top or were ranked four stars or higher and mm-hmm. you're right it's because they converted from from defense they just slipped through the cracks i also think that it's another category here and that's just the fact that they grow so much um in in college like you take a guy that's 250 pounds in high school and all of a sudden he's not playing four sports anymore. 
and he ends up being 300 pounds. He can really focus on one, one thing or another. Um, how do you, as a, as a guy that handles recruiting, how do you take that information and that throughput, as you put it, and try to make a difference when it comes time to, to rank recruits? Yeah, and, and this is something I probably have done more work, like research on offensive line than any other position. It'd probably be offensive line quarterback of the two that I've really like studied the most. Um, and I think what kind of what, what we found with offensive line is, like you said, it's, it's a very, it's a developmental position, right? It's physical development and it's highly technical. Um, I, I think the more information, and I think we're getting better at it, the more information we have about just athletic indicators for these guys. And really the thing that I've focused on the most in the last couple of years is, is their frames, you know, looking for indicators of, of growth potential. Um, and, and that's something, you know, schools, schools now, when they get guys on campus, like some schools, like there are companies and there's technology people are working on where you can, you know, kind of size up a guy, measure their joints, you know, look at their arm length, hand size. You can kind of ballpark a, a weight range that they could get into if they get in a, a you know, a power five FBS strength and conditioning program. So, you know, in terms of us, we just try to get as much of that information as possible. Now, I think one thing that's important to consider too is, we're primarily focused on ranking the prospects that sign with FBS. So, you know, like a guy who, like a Zion Johnson, who goes to Davidson, uh, is like a 240 pound golfer. He's not going to come across my desk as much as, you know, maybe a guy who goes to Wake Forest, for instance. Um, so, so that's something that we're kind of a little at the mercy of, of the prospects that sign with FBS. Now, I also think that, you know, FBS schools, especially schools that aren't getting the first crack at your Evan Neal's, your Kenyon Greens, er the guys who everybody knows are like kind of your top, your ready-made offensive linemen physically. Um, I think those schools could do a better job of, you know, taking developmental offensive linemen. Now it's, it's not, it, it's, it's a little counterintuitive because you're basically kind of investing in, you know, you're, it, it's an investment. You're, saying this guy's not going to play for a year or two. We're going to put weight on him. We feel good about his frame. Um, and I think the way things are advancing, hopefully that's kind of how it goes. But like a guy like Trevor Penning, I went back and watched his video. He moved to offensive line his senior year. I mean, he had, he had the shot put. He had the size. He had the frame. He was 6'6", 260. And he's a guy who I heard, like, if he was considering maybe going to junior college as a qualifier. If he goes to junior college, that guy's getting 15 offers as a one-and-out guy. Um, and it just kind of happened where he just, you know, the local schools kind of missed on him. He didn't come across FBS radars and that's how it is, but it's, it's not, there's, there's your Zion Johnson types who just come, you know, the guy gained 80 pounds. Like that's, I, I get it, but then, you know, schools miss sometimes. And I think offensive line recruiting can be a little counterintuitive. It's, do we take the guy who can play now or do we take the guy that could be a first round draft pick? Here's, this is interesting, right? So back, uh, you know, another a, a, a team. So you, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, the the young man from Northern uh, Iowa, Trevor Penning. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, he's from Iowa. Well, Iowa does a tremendous job historically of finding in-state linemen that end up turning into first-round draft picks or NFL players. They even had one lower in the draft, Tyler Lindenbaum right. uh, or Linderbaum. H how do you see that? I mean, that's just a, that is a, a perfect example of nobody is perfect, right? right. Even someone, Kirk Ferentz is terrific, right? We, we think he's terrific. 
uh, finding and growing offensive linemen into pro prospects. Mm-hmm. But even him in his home state missed the highest rated or the guy that ends up being the best of the group, or at least in, in the uh, NFL uh, thought process. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it shows you a little bit of how much uh, offensive line recruiting can be hit or miss. For sure. I mean, it's 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 the most like it's the furthest out projection of any position. Uh, you have the the physical and the technical stuff. I mean, it's offensive line is is not an easy position to, to play. And a lot of times the guys who have the most physical potential are not playing offensive line their whole career. Like I think the majority of these of these, you know, kind of group of five FCS offensive linemen either made the switch very late in their high school career. Like Zion Johnson played one year of varsity football. Um, you know, Trevor Penning was a, was a defensive lineman. Tyler Smith was a defensive lineman. Um, so I, I think that, and, and that's something we've kind of, that's a philosophy we folded into our, our rankings, um, you know, our process. Like if you look at our 2023 rankings, the, I think the majority of our offensive linemen like either like began as defensive lineman like Charles Jagusa we ranked him as a I think a top 50 prospect and he had an offer from Iowa as a defensive lineman um you look in the state of Texas Bobby I know guys that y'all talk about all the time like your Riley Van Poppels um Terrence Green those kind of guys uh Marcus Marquis Steele um those are ones who you know I think if those guys embrace playing offensive line they have immense potential you know, like a Riley Van Poppel is a guy who, if that guy's, if he's in Iowa and goes to Iowa and plays offensive line, like that's a, a, a you know, has an athletic high ceiling to be a, a, a you know, a top draft pick. So um, it's a little bit of a projection from our part on do these guys embrace playing offensive line? I think most of them eventually do, um, but you have to, it, it's a projection. Like it's, it's a far out projection and, and it's not something that's going to yield returns necessarily when they're a true freshmen. Yeah, I, and this is interesting. It's almost like you're talking about offensive linemen just have a greater margin for error. They do. They do. I mean, it, it's plain as day. If you get six out of six wide receivers are four-star and above, and only three of nine offensive linemen are it, – it's just – it is. It's a margin for error. One of the things I want to mention about wide receivers too, and, and this is something you and I were texting about last night during the draft, multiple positions. Uh, I know Garrett Wilson would have been – I. TJ Ford, the former Texas basketball player, says Garrett Wilson could have been an NBA point guard if he would have wanted to. Okay. Drake London has some basketball highlights that were freaky, right? Those are the top two guys in the draft. They play basketball. What if I, you and I are always big proponents of guys that play, play multiple sports across the board? They learn how to compete, uh, they learn the nuances matter in sports and in different, uh, uh, events. Um, have you done any study or any research that says that, Hey, these, these guys that do multiple sports are the ones that are eventually getting to that upper echelon of the draft. I, I think the majority of, of your top draft picks are multi, multi-sport guys. Um, I, I think like, like you said, the competitive aspect, I think there's a lot of just technical crossover with like a basketball player like if you like I know Doug Baldwin who played you know who played for the Seahawks for a while was said that you know he would work on his releases it's like a crossover it's like a legit like a crossover in in basketball there's just a lot of open movement skills um kind of playing in an open environment not uh maybe necessarily training a repeated thing over and over the ability to react I think playing a live sport because you think about football you know there's 
10 to 15 football games a year, you, you have practice, live practice situations. But I think playing multiple sports is, is, a, is a chance to maybe do some things that you aren't going to do on a football field that, that, that can correlate. And then, and then just with, with basketball, like ball skills, coordination, all of that. Um, so I, we, we see a lot of that. And there's, I mean, you, there's certain sports at each position that, that correlate, like shot put and discus is a great indicator for a guy who's playing on the line of scrimmage, whether it's offensive, defensive line. You look at the most of these top interior linemen that are, are going to go, you know, today and went yesterday had really good shot puts. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff with, you know, the hundred meter dash with uh, corners in particular, some, some of that also too, with, with, with running backs a little bit. Um, so, so there's certain things that we kind of hone in on as, as being really good, good indicators, but in generally speaking, I mean, I, I haven't pulled the numbers on it yet, but I, I would think. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I don't know. The vast majority of guys who are going to be day one or day two picks will be multiple sports. I mean, Tyler Linderbaum, who you brought up, Bobby, uh, the Iowa center, he played six, he lettered in six sports uh, in high school. So uh, there's multiple four sport athletes. I went through all of the, uh, the bios and backgrounds kind of just in pre-work for the draft. And we'll, I'll put out content afterwards, like kind of just summing up all of like our takeaways. Um, and I'm, I will probably do a positional series later um, over kind of a larger sample, multi-year sample, but um, it is a very strong correlation with, with multiple sport athletes. And I, I think too, it's also, there, 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 there's a chance you're going to be less of a finished product. Like there's, there's more of a developmental upside with them once, once they do spend more time at football in, in football. And they're, those are guys who are going to get better at the college level. And I think one thing that we try to focus on and generally speak to me, the largest inefficiency in college football recruiting is the fact that the recruitment does not necessarily line up with the uh, the player's developmental curve. We see so many players that get really good as, as seniors. A lot of these guys we're talking about who were under the radar were played their best ball as seniors. And I think philosophically for us at on three, and this is something that I've just kind of believed in, I believe now more than ever, like we're going to stretch that evaluation to the very last ranking. And we're going to, you know, heavily prioritize guys who play great as seniors because you want to bet on ascending players. Uh, here, here, That's interesting. So this is, this is something that, that to take into context, what you're talking about. Um, I was talking to a parent of a Nigerian player recruit. He said that, uh, and this, you know, Texas fans are ultimately or intimately familiar with guys like Alex Okafor or Brian Arakpo of Nigerian descent. He said that historically, Nigerians actually start growing later than African Americans that, that grow up in America and have kind of, um, they, they just have. And he said they start, they don't really start fully hitting their growth spurt till they're 15, 16, 17 years old. And so I think that to your point about development, it's not just. It's not just everybody starts growing at 14 and finishes at 17, right? 
Some people start at 16 and finish at 20. And that is going to be, I, I, feel, I feel what you're saying, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm getting at, because it's very true. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the, the guy that's 260. Well, he's playing four sports. The minute he stops doing that and focuses on one, his body takes a different shape and he's able to concentrate his muscles on, on just that. I, I want to go on to something else now. Uh, Texas, as you know, moving to the SEC, uh, if not next year, year after, most likely. Um, the SEC leads the uh, NFL draft again in most number of players taken in the first round. Uh, second, I, I think they had 12 by my count. It may have been, I may have I, I counted that really quickly. Big 10 had seven, ACC with five, Pac 12 with four. Big 12 shut out. Um, not surprising that the Big 12 shut out. There were, there were no likelies to go in the first round unless Brees Hall was going to slip in there somehow from Iowa mm -hmm. State, the running back. But um, as, as you see that, um, Georgia had five of them, actually signed six first round picks, if you include Jermaine Johnson, right, right. Um, that ended up transferring to uh, Florida State. What is it about uh, the SEC, in your opinion, I mean, Jerry and I have talked about it, but give us your version of why the SEC um, does so well come NFL draft day. I think it, I, I think it comes down to, well, I think the footprint obviously probably has the, the it's, it covers the states that have the most talent per capita. If you look at our on three uh, uh, draft by stars page, you can sort, it's really, I mean, it's really cool. It's for draft you know like football nerds like us get on there and um you, you there's a lot of stuff you can look at geographically and, and sort that out but the top states per capita historically you know kind of span basically from louisiana over to georgia it used to be south carolina my home state was was top three per capita it's actually taken a dip a little bit um but but those are really the states that churn out the best football players uh per capita historically so i think that's that's kind of where you start and i think you look at the SEC and just how they prioritize football. Um, SEC classes typically stack talent on top of talent more than others. Like you, like you're talking about Georgia, you know, Georgia probably is going to sign like your Georgia's Alabama's LSU's like historically they're going to sign 20 plus blue chip prospects. And the more of those guys you sign historically, and they're always ranked the highest in the recruiting rankings. Typically the more of them you sign is just more bites at the apple to have, you know, these, these top prospects emerge and, and become, you know, high draft picks. So I think it's a numbers game and, uh, and just the, the recruiting footprint area is, is the best. I think you're right about the recruiting footprint because I, I looked at uh, of the 12 uh, first round picks that uh, the SEC produced, 10 of them came from footprint States of the mm -hmm. SEC and North Carolina is not far away. Right. right. <laughs> That in, in Missouri with Jamison Williams, I guess actually 11 of 12, because I didn't think about Jamison Williams actually yeah. from St. Louis being in the, that footprint anymore. But um, long story short, 11 of 12, it's not like they're going to California. They may go to California for Najee Harris or Bryce Young, but generally speaking, they're staying Charles Cross, the offensive tackle from Mississippi State's from Laurel, Mississippi, and uh, Traylon Burks from, from, uh, uh, Arkansas is from Warren, Arkansas. They're not, it's not because they're going to Chicago to get somebody or up to the Northeast. Now those guys do exist, but it's, it's somewhat rare when they, they go up there. Well, I think one note too, to bring it back to the big 12, um, I, I'm sure y'all probably dove into this more than me, but, but just from my perspective, 
I think the state of Texas recruiting has changed since A&M went to the SEC. Um, you see a lot of these SEC teams coming in, coming in now more than ever uh, recruiting the state. I mean, Ohio State did a really good job in Texas, starting with with Urban Meyer, and there's, they still are. You know, you think about Jackson Smith, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who might be the number one receiver. I mean, I think he probably will. He's the odds on favor to be the top receiver taken next year at Ohio State from Texas, Garrett Wilson from Texas. Uh, so I think those national programs going more national and dipping into what was typically a, you know, more of a big 12 stronghold in the last couple of years uh, probably affected that number as well. And then also too, you know, like Texas has been down for a little bit and that's going to affect the the draft numbers um, with that. I mean, when you're, you know, top programs or aren't like hidden, uh, then that's going to affect the, the total as well. Um, you know, I want to finish up with a, a question about this and that is the Longhorns in the draft. Te- Texas really has two, what I would call true draft eligible guys, Josh Thompson, the cornerback out of originally out of Nacogdoches, mm-hmm. uh, Cameron Dicker, the kicker and punter out of uh, uh, the Austin area. Uh, not very much there, uh, but early look at NFL draft. And I know you follow the Longhorns as well as every team around the country. Uh, what are the guys you think of when you think of them right now in, in NFL talent? Not just not just the ones that are going this week right. or this weekend. But overall, I mean, obviously, B. John Robinson, right, and Xavier Worthy. Anybody else catch your eye at this point? I think DeMarvion Overshown might be interesting next year. You know, if he if he continues to just kind of develop, I, looking at linebacker, that's a position where we've seen length and athleticism be, uh, you know, more prevalent. Like you look at like last night, a couple of weeks ago, nobody would have thought Quay Walker was going to be the first linebacker taken. You know, if you watched Georgia, you wouldn't have thought that, Quay Walker would have been drafted have Nicobe Dean, but Quay Walker is what the NFL goes for now. The, the long rangy athletic linebacker guy who played multiple positions, positions in high school uh, can play in space. And he kind of really, honestly, like in their scheme, maybe allowed Nicobe, he and Nicobe Dean complimented each other, but allowed Nicobe Dean to play downhill a little more and do some, you know, play to his strengths. So I, you know, I, I was starting to look kind of just at an early, like what the, you know, the draft would look like next year. And I wrote DeMarvion Overshone's name down. She has a, like a linebacker to, to watch possibly. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, Bijan is, is obviously the going to be the headliner next year for Texas. And it's interesting because next year it's going to be a little bit of a test on running back value because next year's draft is very strong at running back. It is like, I, you know, it's extremely deep. You're going to have Bijan, Jameer Gibbs is going to be, I think, a, a really good at Alabama, put in their offense. You have uh, Tank Bigsby at, at Auburn, Devon Achain at Texas A&M, who's kind of an electric player. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who else. Zach Evans is, is one who, you know, if he gets everything together and has a really good year at Ole Miss, is is a top talent. So um, that's going to be interesting next year to see how that tests running back value in the draft. And, and then, I, I mean, I, I agree with you on Xavier Worthy too. I mean, he. He was the you know the best freshman receiver in the country last year. His his total package with kind of what he can do with his speed and ball skills is is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think with Texas, what, what I'm going to be monitoring, you know, te- Texas signed a great class last year in, in with a freshman. I'm going to be looking at like those offensive linemen, like which guys get on the field early, if if any of those guys do. Um, I think Texas is best, you know, draft if you look at their roster and the talent will we'll be from that, from that, that 22 class they signed. Cause they, they had a lot of like high upside guys. I think that could, that could be top draft picks if it, with the very important caveat, Bobby, as I'm sure, you know, if they're developed properly, 
which yeah. has been the big talking point at Texas. Yeah, no, I, and I think that Texas has a staff that will do that. Now, I, my, my comments on, on what you had to say about DeMarvian Overshone is I'm still in prove it mode with him. Sure. Like he is a guy that this is his first uh, spring where he hasn't been injured. So he's actually taking, has taken linebacker reps and mm-hmm. it's only his, the second time or the, it's only the first time he's been in the same defense, defensive scheme as well. So um, we'll see what he looks like. Yeah. Uh, he did not, he looks like a great prospect, just like you're, you're describing him. He doesn't always play that way at linebacker, at least yeah. to this point. One name I would give you to keep an eye on is, is the Wyoming transfer, Isaiah Nayor. Right. Um, yeah. I was extraordinarily impressed with him in a short period of time uh, when I was down in Austin watching, watching him. Charles, thanks for giving us a, a peek behind the, behind the curtain a little bit. I know that uh, you've got some stuff going on, getting ready for the rest of the draft tonight. Got some articles to get out. Uh, for Charles Power, I'm Bobby Burton. This has been On Texas Football. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 